Welcome to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Each weekday, Dr. Crisp will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Crisp. Welcome to On the Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is the 365 Bible Reading Plan. Today is July the 7th, and our chapter reading for today is the book of Obadiah. What a tremendous short book and pointed in its address to Edom is the book Obadiah. Ovadiah. Some of you know people in Israel today or Jewish people around the world that are called Ovad, O-V-A-D. That is the name Obadiah, as we would say it in English, Ovadiah. And it is a great name with a great meaning. It means the servant of the Lord. Obed is, as you know, in the ancestry of King David. And so Obadiah is a prophet that really has a message not to Israel, not directly to them anyway, but is addressed to them as a book of hope that God will settle the score with Israel's enemies. He always has, and he always will. You'll recall the incidents that the children of Israel had as they were coming out of Egyptian bondage in their wilderness wanderings as they went up the king's highway by the kingdom of Edom. And remember for whom Edom is named. It is Esau, the brother of Jacob. And as you'll recall, he was red and hairy, and uh, Jacob was not so. And so Edom comes from the same root as Adam, Adam, and it means red. Yes, it's the word for man, as it is translated in the book of Genesis, but it is the word for red. And if you go to what was the capital of the Edomites today, it would be in the area of Petra. Many of you have been to Petra, and depending upon who your guide was and who you were going with, you may or may not have understood that that was the capital of Edom, not Petra itself as to where it was, where the treasury building and all the city there, the Romans, where you had the beautiful theater and so forth. But no, it is that mountain that you can see from where the theater is if you're standing there and you are looking directly above you, you will see what looks like a mountain A fortress all to itself, standing high on the hill. That is Selah, which is the capital of the Edomites in what we call the Old Testament. And it was a high fortress that was not easily accessible. And it became a point of pride for the Edomites. They were a proud people. And so they did not think that they could be conquered. And they continually were bashing the Israelites and those who were descendants of Jacob because I'm sure of the deep-rooted animosity that was always in Esau, Edom's heart. We have a direct correlation to them in the New Testament. You see, when the Greeks took over during the days of the Maccabees and the intertestamental period, The Maccabees conquered most of what had been conquered by David and Solomon during the height of the United Kingdom. 
and they took over Edom, and they actually forced the Edomites to become Jews in the sense of to convert to Judaism. And they forcefully did that. When they did, they had a name change. They were called Edomians. Now, the reason that the Edomians are important is because Herod the Great's father was an Edomian. So therefore, Herod the Great, that's right, the crazy man, the schizophrenic paranoid who killed all the babies in Bethlehem during the days of Jesus and the Magi from the east, that same man descended from the Edomites or the Edomians. Now, there is a history behind that that is too long for this podcast, and it's really more information than you want to know. But there is a New Testament connection there. But back to the purpose of Obadiah and the dating of it. For years, I sought for ways, as my professors had taught me, to believe that Obadiah was written actually in the ninth century, in the mid-800s. But I do not any longer hold to that view. I believe that Obadiah was written sometime after the Babylonian phases of the exile and the captivity happened because it fits like a hand in a silk glove if it is dated during that period. It is plain when you start reading the scriptures. What God is doing is letting those who were taken captive that saw the spite of the Edomites toward them during the days of the captivity when Nebuchadnezzar came in in 605, 597, and 586. It's plain as you read through the book of Obadiah that the Edomites were on the wrong side of history. They had sided with Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian leadership, against the Jewish people and had actually taunted them and had stolen from them and had helped with the looting of the Israelites in Jerusalem. They laughed and mocked. And so let's just go through the book because God didn't like it. God never does when we side with evil. God never likes it when we come against a brother without a just cause. And so as you open up the book of Obadiah, God addresses the pride of the Edomites. In verse 3, he says, The pride of your heart has deceived you, you who dwell in the clefts of the rock, whose habitation is high. Now, he's describing their physical stronghold, the city of Selah, that I described earlier in Petra. It's like a fortress, an impregnable fortress. Though you ascend as high as the eagle, and though you set your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down, says the Lord. Now, this is an awful indictment against Edom because whomever God says he's going to bring down, he's going to do exactly what he says. It's just a matter of time. And verse 8 says, Will I not in that day, says the Lord, even destroy the wise men from Edom and understanding from the mountains of Esau? Then your mighty men, O Teman. Now this is a reference back to Esau's sons. Remember he had several sons. One was Eliphaz, and he had a son named Teman, and it became synonymous with the term the Edomites. And God says, I am going to remove all understanding. In other words, uh, confusion and a lack of rational thought and reasoning from the people. And that's what he did. Verse 10 says, For the violence against your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you, and you shall be cut off forever. 
That is, they were violent during the days of the captivity. In the day that you stood on the other side, in the day that strangers carried captive his forces, when foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, even you were as one of them. You see, they joined in with the Babylonians. But you should not have gazed. The word gazed is actually better translated gloated. They were in glee and happiness, and they were gloating over the destruction of Judah. But you should not have gloated on the day of your brother in the day of his captivity. So again, this is why I date this. Now, there are a couple of periods where this might fit before this, but this again fits like a hand in a silk glove. If you date this around that 605 to 586 time period, verse 12 also says, nor should you have rejoiced over the children of Judah in the day of their destruction, nor should you have spoken proudly in the day of their distress. Now listen to verse 13. You should have not entered into the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Indeed, you should not have gazed, gloated on their affliction in the day of their calamity, nor laid hands on their substance in the day of their calamity. Evidently, they went in and helped loot with the Babylonians all of the treasures of Judah. And then it says, you should not have stood at the crossroads to cut off those among them who escaped, nor should you have delivered up those among them who remained in the days of distress. Now, it appears from this that the Edomites, who would have known the land much better than the Babylonians, knew where the escape routes were that the Jews would have taken in fleeing from Nebuchadnezzar, and they alerted them to that and actually stood guard at those crossroads to make sure that none of the Israelites could escape. And God says, I don't like that. Now, there are some real lessons for us that I want to deal with before we move on. This is very, very important. God is a God of justice, not just a God of justice concerning sin as far as our own personal relationship with him, that he is a just and righteous God. But God looks at justice also in the way that we treat people. I'm not talking about the wokeism or the socialism of the left-wing political entities that are in the United States of America during the early 2000s. What I am talking about is the justice of Almighty God, where He cares for widows, orphans, those who are being mistreated, those that are in slavery, those that have burdens that they bear that has nothing to do with their own choices, but what someone else has brought upon them the rich gloating over the poverty of the poor and charging huge interest rates and taking away any hope of betterment. In other words, it has nothing to do with redemption and lift, what we would call in seeing uh, someone prosper and do better materially, socially, spiritually, and every other way. The Edomites were rejoicing that the Jews were, quote, getting what they deserved, end quote. God doesn't like that. It is not your business and mine to teach people a lesson. God will teach the lessons. He's the only one that can. 
When we take justice into our own hands and we never win, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. He's the only one that's wise enough to mete out proper judgment and justice. Now, I'm not talking about the state. I'm not talking about what is clearly laid out in Scripture is the duty of the state and those who are in authority in dealing with evil. I'm talking about personal relationships society and how we deal with those that are less fortunate, those who are not poor by choice, but those who are poor by circumstance, those who are under hardship, not by their own choices, but by the choices that others have made for them. This was the case here. Yes, judgment was coming upon Israel due justice. God had warned them over and over again, but it was not the Edomites place to gloat and rejoice and say, yeah, you're getting what you're getting. And we need to remember the phrase, accept the grace of God, save the grace of God, there go I. And so we have to be careful in our day of self-righteousness and narcissism that is rampant in the church of Jesus today. We have to be careful in dealing with others. Finally, in the closing verses of Obadiah, God says to Israel, Everything is going to work out. I will deal with Esau as I have dealt with you, and you will possess the kingdom. I will return you to the land. You will do what I designed you to do and created you to do, O Israel. God is always faithful. That ought to be an encouragement to us that God sees it all. Those who are unjust, those who misjudge, those who think they have the upper hand, God will have the final say. For On The Way, this is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On The Way with Tony Crisp. Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Fridays are for your questions. Email your questions to questions at TonyCrisp.org. Then just listen for your question to be answered on Friday's podcast. That's questions at TonyCrisp.org. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day on the way.